Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series that will carry us through the season of Advent and right into the new year. We're entitling it, Let There Be Light. The metaphor and imagery of light is used throughout the scriptures. And today we will look at the most basic and profound identification of light in the entire Bible. Thanks for joining with us on this journey as we are seeking and studying the God who declares, Let there be light. I brought with me today something we found in the very bottom of one of our our drawers. It is a little calculator. Uh, This is a unique kind of calculator in that it has a photovoltaic cell on the top of it, which means as long as it's illuminated to sunlight, this little trinket never needs a battery. It'll always work so long as it is exposed to the light. In fact, it will only work when it is exposed to the light. If you were to take this calculator and try to uh, balance your checkbook in the dark, it would be worthless to you because it has been designed by an engineer with the express purpose of working only when it is illumined in the light. When it is in the darkness, it's worthless. Serves no purpose. I mean, you could put it on your desk. It can look pretty. You could use it as a paperweight or a make-believe cell phone like I do with my daughter. Um, but it is not functioning according to its purpose unless it's exposed to the, to the light. I, I've chosen this particular theme for us to lead us into the Christmas season for two reasons. Um, the first is... Uh, As you look to, and I want to thank whoever uh, was responsible here for decorating the sanctuary, but as you look and you see all of the twinkling lights around you, even at the top of our trees, you will see a star that shines. And it is that brilliance, it is that guiding, shining light that first encountered the... uh, was encountered by those shepherds on that night with the illumination of the angels that surround them to bring those good tidings... Uh, glad tidings of good news. And then later on, as the star shone to lead the wise men and the magi on their way to where they would find the Christ child laid in a manger and here to worship him, that it is the light that guides you. And the second reason, not, not just particular to the Christmas season that we are and focusing here on the illumination and how God brings light into darkness but we need some light, don't we? Um, I, I, you, you've heard phrases that just speak to the wonder and joy of the light, right? You've heard light at the end of the tunnel, right? Uh, 2020 has felt a little bit like a dark tunnel in some ways. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I'd like to remind you early on this summer, we did a focus on good news. Do you remember that series, right? You were anyone sick of the bad news? I was tired of it. So we focused on the gospel to equip ourselves to know exactly what the gospel means and to be equipped to share it and to really have that become a bulwark against the bad news that's continually pouring forth from the media. We needed good news. Well, we need some light as well. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've heard of seasonal, uh, what's it called? Seasonal something disorder? Effectiveness disorder? Yeah, I just remember the acronym spells SAD. That's all I remember. Because there's not enough light in the winter. And uh, here, we just need to make it to the winter solstice and we'll start turning those days a little bit longer. But not only do we need just physically in our lives, not only do we need um, 
emotionally and mentally the light to be turned on. Not only do we need spiritually the reminder of light, but this is what we're going to focus on. And thankfully, the scriptures are filled with using the imagery of light to be that which helps become a compass heading and a directional marker for the Christian as to how they are to live their lives and how they are to find themselves in walking in step with God. So the series is called Let There Be Light, subtitle here, Bearing Witness to a Miracle. Now, um, I, I, I want to say here at the beginning of my introduction of this new series um, that it's going to have a, a, a dual meaning there on that second line. The first, Bearing Witness to a Miracle, is going to speak specifically to the, um, the moment of birth of Jesus Christ uh, there in Bethlehem. And how the shepherds bore witness to it. And that the angel's invitation was that they would go and see and report. And that the wise men came, according to that shining illumination of the star, to bear witness to it. And then to go and to share, having seen. Don't don't you see that that's our job as well? Uh, That here, as we gather, we together collectively, in looking once more at the story and giving attention to Advent, we bear witness to a miracle so that we will then do what? Go and share that which we have seen. So the, the, the dual meaning here is one that's going to play specifically into what we celebrate for Advent and the coming of Jesus at Christmas. But then it's going to have another meaning as well. Uh, and that's going to be made clear as we get into the year 2021 with what I hope is a new, effective and exciting theme uh, for our church Uh, that collectively we are going to be bearing witness in our world. So there's more to come with this theme. It's going to carry us through Advent and Christmas, and it's going to carry us straight into the new year, hopefully with a kind of encouragement that has come from seeing this theme played out in God's Word and what it means in your life and in mine. For this morning, we're going to be in John, or 1 John chapter 5. I'd love it if you took out your Bibles and turned there with me. Um, I I want to, in some ways, use each Sunday as looking at a component of light. And uh, the the component of light I want us to examine uh, for this morning is is the idea of its illumination. Light illumines. Um, If if you were to go to my house anytime I'm up here at Bible study, you will find that my wife has every light in the house turned on. She, she wants to make sure that there's a plenty of light when her husband's not around, letting know people are home. In fact, I came home one time, uh, even though it was a little late, she had already gone to bed. And I, as I'm turning off lights, I still see a strange glow coming from the kitchen because guess what other light she turned on? The oven light was even on. I mean, she found every light to turn on. Uh, light illumines, right? Wherever there is a sense of darkness, uh, you, you feel like as soon as the light comes on, there's a sense of peace that comes and relaxes you to know, ah, I see, this is what light does. It brings that which was hidden now to sight. And so with that theme, I'd like us to look here into 1 John. Um, I, my goal this morning is for us to really press singularly upon verse 5 and 6. Um, but there's really no way to preach 1 John 5 uh, to the end of the chapter without giving you a little bit of background and a little bit of a, uh, structural oversight for what John is trying to accomplish. So that's what we're going to do uh, as, as quick as I can this morning. We are going to just uh, br- briefly, I want to show you the structure of what John is doing. And then we're going to dive in deep into verse 5 and 6. So with that, if you follow along with me, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, we will we'll stop right there for, for, for this morning. Um, just to give you some, some little bit of the structure here for what John is doing. John is starting out his epistle by speaking to the church in a way that gives factual evidence for his encounter with Jesus. Not a Jesus as a teacher, not Jesus as a rabbi, not Jesus as a carpenter. Jesus, the Son of God. And so John is going to say in his opening lines, we have seen him, we have touched him, we have heard him. You can take our report, our witness to the bank because we had evidence of knowing and walking and hearing Jesus. That's how he begins. And then in verse five, he gives the church a treasure. Look what he says. This is the message we have heard from him. Who's the him here? It's Jesus. John is going to say, look, we, we heard him for three, three and a half years. We walked with him, right? Let me tell you the message we heard. Let, let me just crystallize it right down to the very fundamental message that Jesus, the Son of God, delivered to us. Do you know what his message is? Here it is. It's a gem. You ready? Look in the text, verse five. God is light. That's the message that Jesus delivered. So you can imagine as Jesus is coming and is teaching the disciples, Jesus is going to be uncovering for them, revealing to their weak minds a truth about God that is going to be so significant, it will clarify, it will crystallize and therefore define every way that men and women are to relate to God and then and thereby subsequently relate to one another. And he begins with this phrase. You want to know who God is? You you want to know how God operates? God is light. Now, the first part of this, as we are trying to uh, wrap our heads around it, I want want to give us some kind of uh, key observations that we can use as conclusions. The first is that God is the definition of holiness as described by he is light. God is the definition of of holiness as described by the phrase God is light. Let's think about that for a moment. Um, It'll make you kind of wrinkle your forehead a little bit as you try to answer the question, what does he mean God is light? Uh, I want to make sure that we don't confuse ourselves thinking in some metaphorical, esoteric comparison that, that God is twinkly or that God is photons, right? Don't, don't, don't get lost in the metaphor. Specifically, what Jesus is declaring, that John is repeating, is that God being defined by light is only properly understood as being contrasted with the dark. And so, did you catch that? Did everybody catch that? This, this is primary for us understanding what Jesus means when he says God is light. He doesn't mean God is light in that he's the sun or God is light in that he's shiny. He means God is light 
when you contrast God with darkness. And you can see this if you look back in the text, because Jesus doesn't stop singularly saying God is light. He says, God is light, and in him, there's no darkness at all. And so what this teaches us is that God is the definition of holiness. Light here, used as a metaphor, uh, is referring to God's holiness. It's referring, light referring to God's purity because there's no darkness in it. And light referring to God as the container, the source of truth in that there is no lies within God. So in any way that you would find a metaphor of darkness, guess what? You won't find any of that in God. For God is light. And he's not just holy insofar as that God elevates himself to a definition of holiness. God is the definition of holiness. Uh, if we're on the same page there, give me an amen. amen. All right, good. I'll, we'll leave that there. I believe that you've, you've got that good. I want to just show you how the, the rest of the scripture writers, the apostles, even the Old Testament, understood to conceive of this and that Jesus picks up that metaphor to describe it in this way that John records for us. We have in 1 Timothy 6, um, uh, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. That's how Paul describes God the Father. Here we have this verse in Psalm 104, verse 2. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment he stretches out the heavens like a tent when we see jesus um, transfigured and when we see jesus in the vision of the revelator of john in the book of revelation matthew 17 verse 2 look how jesus in his divinity and his holiness is depicted there he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun his clothes became as white as the light. And then Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his, his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. We had, we had a game uh, when I was, I think, in fourth grade. Um, we, we'd go up for recess and... The, some of us weren't cool enough to play with the big kids. And so we found that if you took some of those kids, you could get them to stare at the sun and see who could stare at the sun the longest. I don't recommend this game. Um, if you've ever done that, hopefully you realize you can't really look at the sun very long. And even if you do, if you close your eyes after you've looked at the sun, what do you still see? Yeah, so moms and dads, my mom's shaking her head over here, right? So moms and dads, don't let your kids stare at the sun. When, when the writers of Scripture want to convey what it's like to look at God, that's their image. It's like looking at the sun in all of its brilliance. It is holy. It is, it is different from everything else. It's powerful. It is the definition of purity. And for us, as we're going to see in this text, it's also the embodiment and metaphor of truth. So God is the definition of holiness in that Jesus says God is light. Second con conclusion we have is this. There is no compromise to God's holiness. There is no compromise to it. And so Jesus continues, God is light 
in him there is no darkness with the, with any qualifier at all at all you won't find the slightest measure of darkness in god therefore his holiness stands without compromise without stain without blemish without critique there's no way you could go to God and say, well, yeah, God, you, you almost got it right. You're pretty good, but you, you got to work on this one area. No, God has zero compromise. He is subject to zero critique within his holiness. That's who he is because in him, there is no, what's the text say? Fill in the blank. There is no what? Darkness. There is no darkness in him at all. So everybody get it? Here we have uh, with these two contrasting Uh, identifiers, you have the picture of who God is. God is light. He's the definition of holiness. In him, there is no darkness at all. That's what Jesus came to tell the world. That's who God is. Now, this is bad news for you because you have darkness. Every one of us has darkness. And so there is no way that you can find a relationship with this one who holds no compromise, no critique. There's no way that you can be found in a loving, healthy relationship with this one because you and I have darkness. But God is not subject to any. There's no compromise to God's holiness. Um, When I was in fifth grade, I uh, played in a Christmas recital. I think it was over in Aurora, if I can remember. And my piano teacher at the time was working with me. And let me tell you something. Children in fifth grade loved playing in front of people. They loved it. They loved to go up there and be put on trial in front of everybody to play it perfectly. And, And my piano teacher would always remind me lovingly, well, you kind of got it close. You were kind of right, but I can never really get there. That's not God. God is not subject to any critique. There's no mistakes within God. There's no error within God. There's no sin within God. His holiness is without compromise. So let me take you to the third and our final observation from this text. And that is that we have been designed by him to live in holiness. I want that to sink in. We have been designed by him. The manufacturer of mankind carefully engineered mankind so that it will function the way it's supposed to function when it lives in holiness. That's how you're designed. Have you ever had a problem with your neighbor? Have you ever ever had a spat with your spouse? Have you ever had a little frustration with someone down the road or a family member? Do you know why that happens? It happens because you're not walking in the light. You, you, you now or they're not walking in the light. It's the, somewhere you have a breakdown in the machine and its functional design because you were designed to walk in the light. But when you don't walk in the light, the whole thing falls apart. When I uh, worked in the Caribbean um, at our school... Uh, we, had a, we had a snack shop, and my wife for a while used to man the snack shops where we served lunch out of. But one of the unique features of our island is that the power would go off anytime, 
all the time for hours at a time. And you couldn't run the cash registers, you couldn't run the drink coolers, you couldn't keep the lights and the fans on in the snack shop. So I decided that I was gonna bypass the local uh, municipality or utility um, by putting up some solar panels. And so sure enough, I, I found these, wired them up, added a nice big fat battery bank with an inverter, set it up so that at a flick of the switch, if the current went off to the snack shop, all we had to do was go to our backup batteries that were being fed by these solar panels and we could have electricity. And here's the most beautiful thing. The light that shone from the sun was then somehow reconstituted so that indoors in the snack shop, you could have light again. You see how cool that is? The, the panels were designed to absorb the light, to reconstitute it so that it could be used to shed more light. How amazing is that? One, one significant problem with the design of these is that, and if you know anything about photovoltaics, you know that if any part of an array of solar panels gets shade, the whole thing drops. The whole thing drops. You could have the majority of the panels bright, shining, doing what they're supposed to be designed to do, but just one or two in the shade and the output of the whole system drops right down because the manufacturer designed these not to work in the dark, but to work in the light. And when they're doing their job properly, they are able to absorb that light and reconstitute it to shine more light. The same is true for you. You have been designed to live in light. You've been designed by God to live in light. I want to take you back to the text once more. Look with me in verse 6 and 7. John says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The design of mankind is such that you will work the way you're made to work when you are walking in the light. All right, so is everybody with me on this? I feel like we're like, this is pastor, this is kind of like church 101. We knew this going into Sunday. Um, how do you do that then? How are you doing with that? And so let me spend the, just the rest of my time wrapping up here by giving us some application. Number one, um, don't walk in darkness. It's pretty simple. Just don't walk in the dark. In order for us to understand what that means in a little more specific sense, we need to continue a little further in John's epistle. And so if you have your Bibles, just turn over to chapter 2 real quick because I want you to see, first of all... Um, how you are not to walk in darkness. And John gives us this in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Darkness here is depicted in three ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life. Did you see it? I want to make sure that if, if you're used to scribbling notes in your Bible, maybe put a one, two, and a three next to those. They show up verse 16. The cravings of sinful man is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes is the lust of the eyes. And the boasting what he has and does is called, if you have a New American Standard or King James might be phrased as the pride of life. It's the look at me. Now, all of these things, guess where they happen? Not in the daylight. Come on, when you are boasting about how good you are, you don't do that openly. You do that with people who you think you can trust, right? When you tear down others and speak against them and gossip, you don't do it on the phone with them. You do it on the phone with your friends. When your flesh is desiring to have what it wants, to be comforted the way it wants, you're not doing that out in the open where everybody can see. The lights are off. You're doing that in the dark. And if your eyes are moved towards uh, sensuality or sexual immorality. You're not doing that wide in the open. These things are happening in darkness. This was the passage here, 1 John 2, 16, right? Three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so don't walk in these three areas. We're, we're going to turn to Romans 13 to unpack this just a little bit more. This was the verse that Lois read in our New Testament reading. So flip back with me, Romans chapter 13 And I want you to see how this pattern of these three kinds of darkness and sin and how they plague our lives become manifest in a way that you and I need to reject now that we are in Christ. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. It was our New Testament reading for this morning. Hopefully you're able to turn there. Everybody there? Say amen if you're with me there. All right. Paul says to the church in Rome, chapter 13, verse 11. And do this. Understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in Uh, my NIV says orgies, but carousing is a good translation here. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Paul says that the sin nature is bound up in these exact three ways that John lays out. There were six things that were mentioned. And if you look back in your Bible, you'll see in verse 13, you have six vices. But if you read this in the original language, you'll see that they come in three couplets, three pairs of sins. So the first pair says, not in carousing and drunkenness. Um, These are, I looked them up, they can be translated with indulging and intoxication. Well... You know what part of your body wants to indulge, overindulge, right? Thanksgiving meal, if you got to get another buckle size on your belt, right? Because you've been indulging. Or if you have been drinking too much, you are now intoxicated. Both of those are playing upon a component of your sin nature defined as lust of the flesh. John calls it darkness. Look at the next pair, the next couplet that Paul gives. Not in sexual immorality, and debauchery. Well, this kind of sexual impurity is being affected here by a lusting with your eyes. 
Here, again, defined by John as darkness. In the last pair, as you look again in verse 13, not in dissension and jealousy. Uh, these are best defined as striving and jealous division. You know, that's what pride does. Who does pride think highly of? Yeah, self. You put yourself above others and you divide yourself from one another. That's the pride of life. I, I, I hope that this is pretty clear to you, but I want you to really see in the text, this is exactly the components that we need to keep an eye on because if you don't, you're going to be like stumbling around in the dark. Don't walk in darkness. All right, second is pretty easy. Can you guess what it is? Walk in the light. But I wanted to find that for you as well. So turn back with me to 1 John once more. In two ways that you are to walk in the light, both of them defined according to God, because God is light. The first is this. You need to walk in love. To walk in the light means to walk in in love. I don't want to lose you here. I'm going a little long on my sermon. Sorry about that. You knew it coming into this thing, right? Um, Don't let me lose you on this one. To walk in the light means to walk in love. I'm not making that up. I'm actually finding that from the text. We see it in chapter two. So if you hold your spot in chapter one, turn the page over, look in chapter two, you will see in verses nine and 10, and I have it up here on the screen as well. This is what John says. The one who says he is in the light, but still hates his fellow Christian is still in the, in the darkness. The one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light. And there is no cause of stumbling in him. The very first thing that we need to see is that as we try to define what it means to walk in the light, all right, pastor, I'll walk in the light. What does that mean? That means you have to love one another. Now, I I could just repeat the second half of Chris Kuzak's message from two weeks ago because we live in a time of great division where we like to really judge one another, make snap judgments and accuse one another according to our own comforts. That sounds like pride to me. That sounds like the opposite of love to me. That sounds like darkness to me. So if you want to walk in the light, it needs to be defined according to how the Bible defines it. And that means, first and foremost, walking in love. If this were easy, I wouldn't have to preach 45 minutes on it. All right? This is not easy. It's something that you, uh, whole messages of sermons helping us to understand how to do this. But nevertheless, providing for us the right perspective to take here. Um, As I was telling you, the picture of the solar panels, remember, if one of them is covered in shadow, if one of them is in darkness, what happens to the whole thing? The, 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 The voltage of the whole assembly drops down because it's designed by its engineering to work together. And do you know that's how a body works too? Think of your own body. If you have one part of your body that's not working right, right, you, you're walking around and you ooh, stub your toe. What's the rest of the body have to do now? Almost the rest of it doesn't work the way it's supposed to, right? Now the ankle's got to give, the knee's got to give, the back's got to give, everything else has to now, and it can't work the way that it should. Or maybe if you've got uh, something in your eye or in your neck or a chiropractor needs to see you for some reason, you get the point? One little piece not working affects the whole, just like in a solar panel. One little piece in darkness affects the whole. Hey, church, for a church body, all it takes is one or two of us to say, I'm going to, I don't care what the pastor said. I don't care what the Bible says. 
I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me this or that. And we start to divide one another in some form of darkness. Do you know what's going to happen to the work that the whole needs to do? It's all going to drop. It's all going to slow down. So how do you solve that? Well, you walk in love. That's the answer. Secondly is this. We need to learn to walk in truth. And you can see this in the rest of the text in verse 6 when he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. I want to make one thing explicitly clear as I finish this up. Walking in the light does not have anything to do with being sinless. I'm going to let you think about that for a moment. Walking in the light doesn't have anything to do with being perfect. I would be putting a burden over you this morning if that's what I preached. Who here can be perfect? Raise your hand. Good and high. I can be perfect. Yeah, that's right. Nobody can. And because you can't, that's not what it means to walk in the light. Do you know what it means to walk in the light? It means to walk in the truth that I'm not perfect. This is exactly what John is trying to say. He's trying to take the person who says, I'm walking with God. I'm a good Christian. But I sure don't like those people. And he's going to say, then you're not walking with God. You're lying to yourself. Because what what does it mean to walk in the light? It means to walk in truth. We uh, we got a little puppy this summer. Um, Does anybody know what happens to a puppy if they eat a box of crayons? (laughs) In the middle of the night, with the lights off, you will find deposits all over your house because the dog ate crayons. On both ends of the dog, it comes out. I'll let you know, too. Now, I remember this particular, this particular night, I could see, I could barely see. It looked like something was off on the ground in a few places. Now, had I kept the lights off, had I walked in darkness, I would have been traipsing around all over the house with this, right? But by turning on the light, do you know what it did? It allowed me to address the ugliness that was there. Do you hear what I'm saying now? By turning on the light, I was able to be honest about the problem that existed so that I could address it. Now, it's never going to be perfect, right? But I won't be pretending like everything's fine, traping around trash all over the place, and neither will you. If you live in darkness because you have little deposits of sin all over your heart and life. If that remains in darkness, you're going to be traipsing through it willy-nilly because you live in dark. And you know what that will do with fellowship with one another? It'll just destroy the relationship with one another. Because walking in the light means being honest about the truth that's there. Which is why, if you will continue with me in verse 8, what John does is he gives three conditional ifs The first if is in verse 6. It's a negative. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. That's the first if. The second if is in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin. Do you know anyone who does that? I'd say most people in the world do. I'd say most people who don't come to church. Are you going to heaven when you die? What do they say? Yeah, why? What do they say? Good person. Yeah, they, they, they're walking what? In light or dark? They're walking in dark. And then the third if is in verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned. Do you see the problem? These three ifs all have to be addressed in the church. 
And to walk in the light means that you walk in truth. And so let me, let me finish here with just a couple of questions I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself this morning. When you think of these categories of your thoughts and your words and your actions, three categories of darkness, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, dealing with our thoughts, and the pride of life. How we speak about one another, so your words, right? As you're addressing those things, here's the question that I would want you to ask yourself. Where do your thoughts need more light? The, the, thing, the things that nobody ever sees, that go on between the ears, where do they need more light? Or how about your words? Do you have light-filled words? Or are you still prone to saying things in the dark when nobody else can hear and how about your actions? Where do your actions need to be brought into the light? And just as we've been through this study for better definition, let me replace the word light with love. Do my thoughts need more love? Are my words love-filled words? And where do my actions need to be motivated by love? I know, some, I, I know everybody here has something here that God's speaking to you with. I'm going to trust that as you and I devote ourselves to become disciples of Jesus, you and I, just like myself, I'm willing to address those and say, God, help me. Help me to do better with that because God is one more thing. If you read towards the end of 1 John, he writes, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Let's pray this morning.